This week on Rotten or Righteous, we ask the question... You want to know a heaven secret? (laughs) It's really bright. Welcome back to Rotten or Righteous, the asinine, mud-encrusted, angelic rock monster of podcasts. With me today, as always, he is no different. He is weak, and he is selfish to think he could set himself apart. Hello. Luke Taylor. Scott's not here because, well, he heard Colin was going to be on, but we'll get to that in a second, and he said, I I can't do that with him. But here was his introduction. It's too good not to do it. He broke the world. He did this. This man <laughs> did this. Everything that was beautiful, everything that was good, he shattered. Now it begins again with Scott Judge. And me, well, I don't belong here. For what it's worth, I'm glad it begins with you. Maybe I'll learn to be Zach Geiler. And as I just mentioned, with us today is a very special guest, my cousin and our only fan. <laughs> I have men at my back, and he stands alone to defy me. Mm-hmm. He's not alone. He's Colin Morrison. <laughs> Thank you. Colin, you listen to the show. You're the only one that does. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so so we do have one question, and that, that is, why are you here? <laughs> we've already done irreparable damage to our reputations because of this, and we've just gotten too far into it to quit. But <laughs> you're innocent. Why would you subject yourself to this? <laughs> I'll tell you, I'm in awe of you guys. And how could I pass up this opportunity? I mean, <laughs> seriously. <laughs> he just wants to participate in the debauchery. All right. Before we begin, did you know you can listen to us on SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Apple Podcasts? Well, so subscribe. And if you just so happen to listen to it on iTunes, Go ahead and give us five stars. Pretty please. Hey, why not go over to Facebook and like our page at facebook.com slash rotten or righteous. Again, go ahead and tell someone about us because Luke is the only one who likes being your dirty little secret. If you have something to say about it, <laughs> if you have something to say about us or the show, say it to our face at rottenorrighteous at gmail.com or on Facebook Messenger. And as I have the last few weeks, I promise that I'll check the email more this year. But seriously, if you are our Belgian fan that's listened to all the episodes in the past month, I feel sorry for you. One, I I don't think I would want to listen to an episode a day in order to get caught up for over a month. But if you are uh, uh, listening, and I hope you are, introduce yourself. It's kind of cool that you'd listen to us three idiots from, from America in a different country. Also, real quick, sit through the closing music. You don't want to miss the special surprise that's bloopers from this week's show. Dang it, I ruined the surprise. Aw. All right. This week we watched the biblically inspired, because it sure as heck wasn't biblically based, 2014 action-adventure drama Noah. It begins... Basically, I'd go through the summary, and if you have something to say or want to chime in, just talk. And then I'll stop and 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 okay. Yeah. Is that how this works? 
Well, sometimes I ask questions. <laughs> sometimes I leave long pregnant pauses waiting for you to say something. Sometimes I, you know, okay. sometimes you can just jump in. Sometimes <laughs> Luke will just shut up for the entire time, and it's like pulling teeth with him to say anything on the show. But <laughs> that's going to be me. True. If you if you had to, <laughs> but if you've listened to the podcast, you know Luke's here because of indentured servitude, and so I know his heart's really not in, in it. <laughs> I I this is basically I forgot what I was going to say. Never mind. Proceed. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> The beginning opens up with big, booming brass notes, letting us know that we're about to see something epic. Then the following on-screen text appeared. In the beginning, there was nothing. Cut the music, fade to a green serpent slithering through some grass. Then the music starts again with more texts. Temptation led to sin. Cut to silence again. We see the forbidden fruit, which looks like an apple and a tumor got together and had a baby. It's all moving like there's worms inside. To say the least, there is nothing tempting about this fruit, but I digress. I had a lot of fun Can I, with this movie this week. Go ahead, Luke. I need to ask your opinion on the font. You know, we've been uh, critical of all these movies based on the font of the credits. This font surprised me a little bit. It's not what's... I'm a- I'm a big fan of font. As long as the font's not moving like it was in front of uh <laughs> in front of uh, uh Borrowed Christmas. But I think the Colin, did you see Borrowed Christmas? Or did you listen to the show at uh, least? I have not I listened to the show. I haven't seen all these masterpieces, Thank but goodness gracious. Oh, yeah, I, well then I have a, I have a I have a question for you because that's kind of where we're at right now and kind of the shape the show is has taken on is we're making the show for people who, well, we really don't want them to have to sit through this these movies and watch them. And so we try to give a pretty thorough explanation. When you get to an end of an episode, does everything flow as far as the story? Do you feel like you've at least know the, the gist of what's going on? <laughs> Uh, yeah, but back to your question. I like the font in this. I really, I, I didn't have a problem with it. it kind uh, of yeah, well, yeah. Like the movie. <laughs> on that note, I thought it was kind of cheap looking, like something you could do on old, you know, the old paint program in 1996. Yeah, yeah. We, we have more sophisticated taste than Zach, though. Yeah. I don't know. I, I liked the animation in this movie. I really did. But, um. What animation? It was all live action. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, <laughs> all right, so yeah, but seriously, did the Forbidden Fruit look good to nope. either of you at all? Duh, just why was it eating like that? Duh. I'm not, I'm not, I don't eat anything that, that moves like there's muscle structure underneath it, like, <laughs> and it's not dead. <laughs> it's clearly dead. If I get a, if I get a chicken breast on a plate and underneath the, the Colonel's secret recipe, you got a bunch of muscle moving around in it. I'm, I'm taking that back. I'm not going to eat that. <laughs> I wonder piece if of chicken. they did that because yeah, I definitely took on like the image of a heart. I wonder if they did that because like there was clearly like a "don't eat the animals, they're your friends and they're innocent" kind of thing. So the heart was supposed to look like almost like flesh. Like they're not supposed to eat this, but they're going to. Or, or they had twenty thousand dollars left over from the CGI budget. Uh, after doing the rock monsters, be like, hey, those were cheaper than we thought. Uh, we got $20,000. What do you want to do with this? Hey, why don't you animate the heart to make it look gross? Or the, <laughs> the forbidden fruit to make it look gross? Great. Perfect. <laughs> Let's do it. 
A hand reaches up and plucks the fruit. <laughs> then you hear someone chop into that crisp and juicy, forbidden, gallstone-looking apple thing. By now, you should know what's coming next. And if you think a mariachi band starts to play, well, that was a stupid guess. Back to the booming mu music and more text. Cast out of Eden, Adam and Eve had three sons, Cain, Abel, and Seth. Then we witness the most traumatizing shadow puppet show ever produced as Silhouette Kane kills Silhouette Abel. The booming music and on-screen text returns to let us know that Kane killed Abel and fled to the east where he was sheltered by a band of fallen angels called the Watchers. Wait a minute, movie. Hold on just a second. You lost me. Uh, you were doing good for, for, a, for a while here. And then you kind of took a left turn. Um, where where'd you read that in the Bible? <laughs> it's movie? in there. You haven't oh, read that part. You like didn't. <laughs> no, I felt like this was like in Luke's apocryphal. <laughs> <laughs> a weird conglomeration of every interpretation everybody's ever had of the sons of God and the daughters of men and the giants and the Nephilim, you know, thrown all into a blender and poured out in this movie, and, and that's what you came up with. <laughs> <laughs> that that was my only explanation. You're doing good though. <laughs> and if you're if you're wondering and <laughs> on what these watchers are, and you guessed that uh, it turns out that the watchers are deformed rock monsters, and we see them walk around a bit, uh, then you're right. Congratulations, you're the only one that would have guessed that. Uh, movie, are you okay? Are you sure this is still about Noah? So, I'm... I'm but movie... I, I kind of want to save yes. this, but maybe it's better just to get it out at the beginning. Um, Luke, there is... If it's Rock Monster related, I'm telling you, you have a million right, and one wait. opportunities. <laughs> okay. It, it's a somewhat explanation you know that, that of this we, we, story. Uh, I, I think... I, I stumbled across... We can talk about that now. I, I think I stumbled across the answer, but go ahead and, and say so, what you think it is. When, um... Well, it's... I should probably wait till the scene... No, I guess I'm not gonna. So, uh, when everyone's charging the Ark later on, and they're all gonna, you know, take over the Ark, Noah yells... He, he needs through, like, the barricade of the rock monster angels. So he yells at the angel, and he calls him, uh... Sam Yaza. And I was like, they couldn't have just pulled that out of nowhere. So I looked that name up. That was uh, my first so car. I had, a, I had a Sam Yaza Adventador. No, you didn't. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> Sam Yaza is from the Book of Enoch. And he is one of the fallen angels in the Book of Enoch. And uh, so... As the story progresses, kind of, I realized that I didn't realize this the first time I saw the movie, but then I realized second time that this is following the storyline of the Book of Enoch, and so some of the things that uh, the angels do and they talk about a little bit later on and why they help Noah and stuff um, is is coming out of that. So they're like, well, we could take the biblical narrative, but that's boring. We need a little spice, so they took the Book of Enoch, and that's where uh, that's where the rock monsters come from. Well, if that's the case, that makes a lot of sense. I think that this is actually more grounded in Jewish mythology than you probably would see right on the surface because I was coming across, I was reading um, a synopsis writing this yesterday, and uh, someone called them golems. 
which if you know about Jewish mythology, uh, extra biblical mythology, a golem is a giant rock monster protector of man. So I think they took Enoch and the myth of golems and mushed them together and came up with these rock monsters. And a little bit of Lord of the Rings. I mean, I, I was feeling a little bit of int. Um, yeah. A little rock int present. Yeah, they definitely look like Aragon. <laughs> <laughs> they kind of look like Denethor. All right. <laughs> so after they introduce the Watchers, the movie takes you back to tell you a little bit more about these rock monster Watchers uh, with more booming music and more on-screen text. Apparently, these Watchers helped Kane's descendants build a great industrial civilization. Snap cut to a sprawling city built in super-fast time-lapse animation. Then we continue to read this novel of an introduction, and it says Kane's cities spread wickedness throughout the world. But I, 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 one thing I did like is um, when it when it did the space shot of the world and the sin spreading across it. They showed Pangea, uh, the supercontinent of all the continents pushed together. Uh, I think you can look at the evidence and the globe to see that at one point the continents do fit together. I think what started the shift was the flood, but it was kind of cool to. Uh, I don't know. It kind of... It was a weird movie, man. It, it shoved some creationism down your throat. It shoved some uh, day theory down your throat. It shoved some uh, creation theological creationism down your throat. <laughs> this was back when the world was flat, yeah. But, I don't know. Because all the water right. got you know too heavy on the edges, and then it curled up into a ball because gravity... Is that how that worked? And then Pangea, I mean, you know, it happened. Makes sense to me. After I got rid of my uh, Yamaza, I, I got a Pangea. It was a terrible car. Horrible gas mileage. <laughs> All right. So uh, the movie then tells us through more on-screen text that only the descendants of Seth defended and protected what was left of creation. Where they got that, I don't know. Finally, the on-screen text tells us today the last line of Seth uh, becomes a man. And if you're thinking right now, dear listener, that, um, you know, okay, a lot of the movie's over. I can't believe they, they gave a third of a movie in text and booming music and weird visuals. I'll tell you, you're wrong. Only two minutes <laughs> and nine seconds have passed, and we're already off the rails on a crazy train. So uh, strap in tight, my friends, because it's a wild ride. Movie officially begins with Noah as a kid with his dad, Lamech, who is wrapping a snakeskin from the Garden of Eden serpent around his arm for some reason. Have you seen, uh, <laughs> doesn't that come from like the Jewish Orthodox Jews practice of wearing their phylacteries? Because they have the phylactery they wear on their head and then they have like this leather strap they wrap around their arm like this. And that's where they attach the phylactery to their, their left arm. Is that what that was? I don't know. I mean, it very I well think... could be. It could be that they had a holographic snake skin <laughs> and they'd just be like, hey, this looks all shiny and gold for some unknown reason. Let yeah. me wrap it around my arm. Which, by the way, that is the strongest snake skin I have ever seen in my entire life. 
I mean, you pick up a snake skin you find in the woods or something, it'll crumble in your hand like it's a dead leaf. But this one goes through three owners, a whole entire flood, a couple of battles, and it still has the tactile strength to be wrapped <laughs> around someone's arm. This is the skin off of the serpent in the garden, right? So why yeah. why, of course. why, are they revering it? I, I didn't make the connection. I wouldn't. Maybe it's a, a reminder. <laughs> I wonder. You're since in charge it, of this podcast. It, you should have the answers. If I okay, if it was just me telling you the answer, why would you be here, Luke? I, I don't know why I am here. <laughs> if it was Scott, he would have had his Bible out by now and read us the entire <laughs> book of Genesis. <laughs> Sorry, Colin. I know. I, I tried to figure that out, too, and the only thing I could get from it was that it symbolized manhood, maybe not in the sense of like being a grown-up, you know, mature man as much as a sinful creature man. Because you remember Adam and Eve in the garden, in the beginning, they were just light. You know, they just were these weird glowing sort of forms, and then that all happened, and they became man as we know it. So that's, wow. the, that's the only connection I could make. Right. Colin's way smarter than us, Luke. Apparently, wow. Well. You're more prepared than we've ever been. Uh <laughs> <laughs> you actually gave thought to this? <laughs> it was the only thing in the movie that made me think, believe me. Uh, after the snakeskin is thoroughly wrapped around the arm, suddenly a large group of men approach, led by the young king Tubalcane. And Tubalcane just walks up and buries a pickaxe in Lamech's head like a prospector who found a silver vein. But Noah gets away. And then Tubalcane sees the snakeskin and picks it up. Years later, Noah's all grown up and living with Naamah and his three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Noah comes across... <laughs> I learned to talk here. Noah comes across a weird animal that looks like an armadillo mixed with a dog. An armadillo dog that has been wounded. A group of hunters appear and tell Noah that the dog is their kill and they're going to eat it. In this movie, meat eaters are bad. I bet Peter really liked this movie. And Noah just kills all of them. <laughs> <laughs> don't kill the animals but, well you know it's self-defense well, stand your ground laws were a thing back then I suppose right it was self-defense and the fact that Noah wouldn't give them their armadillo dog well they seemed pretty intent on killing him anyway they were probably gonna hey we're them. hunters we're gonna eat this armadillo dog no you're not and then just murder. I I just don't think the life of one armadillo dog is worth the life of of spilt human blood. Well, it's like the vampires, you know, when they get a taste of blood, then they want more, and so they're going to kill all the other animals, and so he can't give up the armadillo dog. Otherwise, they'll become just like ravenous meat eaters, and creation will be <sighs> defiled. I just want to rename the podcast Armadillo Dog, so I get to say it every week. Later, a magical raindrop falls from the sky and lands at Noah's feet, creating a flower. That night, Noah has a dream where he sees the mountain his grandpa Methuselah lives on and water covering the whole earth. And Noah knows what this means. 
God's sending them a message. I mean, God could have just, you know, talked to Noah like the Creator did in the actual Bible, but that would be too easy. Instead, God sends weird riddle dreams and say, good luck with that. <laughs> Does the Bible say how he talked to him? I, yeah, I mean, Scott, <laughs> Bible hour. <laughs> Because I was thinking about this, you know, I wasn't so sure that he was thinking about it. Why didn't you turn to Genesis? Well, I was watching the movie and I was doing other things and I couldn't remember exactly what chapter the flood was in. So (laughs) would have required some effort. It's like the second story in the entire Bible. You get past Eaton, you're pretty much there. Uh, Six? Is it six? Noah and the flood. Yeah. Uh, and Noah said, and God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh. It doesn't say how he talked to him. It, okay, but it does come across, hear me out, that it's much more clearer than here, float around with Mary Magdalene from last week's movie for a little while, except this is dead bodies. Have fun! Much more clearer. You're right, it was much more clearer. It was much more clearer. <laughs> <laughs> I liked how they portrayed the pre-flood world. You know, there's not a whole lot of depictions of like the world before the flood and what it would have been like. And I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> to change the subject now. Um But it would have been it would have been pretty wild to live in a world where there was hardly anybody there and just a bunch of wilderness and trees and Dirt and mountains. You really don't think there's hardly anybody there? Actually, I, I, depending on where you live, I think those. I don't know. I, I've done a lot of research on this, and some of the, some of the scholars believe, and they, and they do mathematical equations and stuff. I don't understand. Uh, They use the Omega Code from the episode we haven't released yet. But there's some people that believe that it could have been anywhere from, like, 6 million people to, like, more than they're on Earth right now, considering that nobody died, really. I mean... Yeah, I guess I had heard that. I forgot. They were working with bronze and metal, the Bible tells us, like, like just a few generations separated from Adam and Eve. God caused them to, to lose their power... And, and not only that, but, but speech. Think about speech and what God said. we got to separate men or else they'll be able to do anything. I think that there were more... I'm not saying they had iPhones or anything like that, but I think they were more technologically advanced than we would think. Well, according to the Book of Enoch, the Watchers... The Watchers had two sins. They were, they were guilty of two sins. The first one was one that they wanted to... Uh, let's see, how can I say this without getting it cut out? Wanted to with human women and they were really into that so that was part of cut their, point oh uh, you're disgusting they wanted to lay with human women they wanted the to preferred. Know, yeah they wanted to know them and then the second one was that they shared the secrets of heaven with the people so like science and uh hey, art, hey, art hey, of hey. war and there's a lot of clouds stuff like that <laughs> So, according to the Book of Enoch, this all makes sense. You want to know a heaven secret? <laughs> it's really bright. 
Now I pictured a bunch of rock monsters just gathered around a campfire with some humans just be like, hey, you want to hear Heaven's Secrets? Okay. <laughs> There's a street of gold. Shh, don't tell nobody. It's a Heaven's Secret. <laughs> no one his family, after getting this cryptic vision, set out on a dangerous journey to see Methuselah and asked the ancient old man for his help deciphering the dream. On the way, they find a bunch of fresh and bloodied corpses, but one little girl is still alive. Her name is Isla, and she was stabbed right in the uterus, apparently. How they had the medical knowledge to reach this conclusion, I don't know, but they make it pretty clear that Isla's going to be barren. And if she's not barren, then the stupid thing that happens later can't. They adopt her, but the joy they feel opening their hearts to a child in need is short-lived as a bunch of Tubal Cain's men find and chase Noah and his family. And they chase him until a giant rock monster smashes Noah's head against a rock, and he should be dead, but he literally does not have a scratch on him. When he comes to, Noah realizes that he was dragged, again, on his face. Not a scratch, but he was dragged by the first rock monster to a council of rock monsters, and his family's there, and everything's just fine. The rock monster explains that they left heaven and came to earth to help the humans. This made God mad, so he turned them into rock monsters. But because they were terrifying rock monsters, humanity didn't trust them and started to kill them. Because I'll be honest with you guys, if I saw a giant rock monster coming towards me, I'm not going to hang around and see what he wants. I'm taking off. You wouldn't even be a little bit curious? If one of those things... Walked up to my house right now, I'd give him the keys to it. Be like, here, it's yours, Rock Monster. I'm not dealing with you. I'm, I'm leaving. So how do you guys feel about the fact that Noah got his head caved in with a rock, but he's cool? Well, it was just blunt trauma, so there was no open wound. And then his face was looking I pretty mean, ragged I, I, anyway. I would, I would argue that he hit that rock on his temple. <clears throat> And he hit that rock probably with more force than Cain was able to produce when he killed, or that, yeah, when he killed Abel. Yes. <laughs> Indeed. Um, people were tougher back then. You know, you had to be. So, yeah, I got beat okay. up with rocks all the time. <laughs> Somehow, I'm We got beat up with rocks too. all the time. For those of us who were homeschooled, you know, that was like every day. That was everyday stuff. That and hedge apples. Every Thanksgiving, I'd come <laughs> home beaten, bruised, bloody. Because we'd start playing football, and it always would just escalate until us hurling rocks and apples at each other. You could kill somebody with a hedge apple. <laughs> yeah. The good old days. So anyways, these rock monsters don't like people because humanity didn't trust them and then started to kill them, which I think may actually be the dumbest plot point in the entire movie because how do you kill an angel, let alone an angel covered in rock? Apparently you stab it with a spear. Yeah. I mean, I you feel shoot like it with a, hit it enough times. You shoot it with a gun first. Don't forget about the gun. <clears throat> yeah, anyways, I don't want to get ahead of myself. Uh, anyways, the only one that was willing to save these crusty angels back when they were fighting uh, the humans was Methuselah, who had a magic flaming sword that, uh, when you shoved it into the ground, sent a wave of flame that just murdered thousands of people. You, you, you put this sword in the ground and you're not prepared? What if you put it in backwards? 
I just thought about that. I mean, it's a sword. It's got two sides. What if you <laughs> What if you weren't paying attention to the little arrow and you put it in and it, it just backflashed? It's magic, Zack. It doesn't work like that. Gandalf doesn't blow himself up when he fights the Balrog. It's not the direction of the spear. Don't you know anything about I mean, magic? No, I'm, I'm sorry, but technically, yes, he did. Gandalf dies when he fights the Balrog and then resurrects as Gandalf the White. He didn't hit himself with his own spell. So in the book of Enoch, Sorry. in the book of Enoch is uh, Methuselah portrayed in the way he is in this movie, like as this prophet slash miracle worker guy. So we don't know anything that happened. You know, we don't know hardly anything about these people. There's obviously weird stuff going on. Well, the only flaming sword I read about in the Bible is the one that the cherubim held once they were kicked out of the Garden of Eden. So when Garden of Eden, don't know what happened to it before the flood, but let's just assume the Garden of Eden just absorbed itself back into the earth did the cherubim forget to bring the flaming sword back to heaven with them did he see methuselah strolling down the street and say hey bud do you want this flaming sword you shove it in the ground murder thousands and thousands of it's a nuclear bomb that you can hold in your hand he gave him that when he gave him the seed from eden to um to you know to create the trees for the ark it was the same uh, we'll talk we'll they talk about that seed in just a minute i just didn't explain it um, anyway, so these rock monsters like Methuselah, because Methuselah saved them, uh, and Noah explains that he's actually pretty tight with Methuselah, seeing as the old man is his grandpa, uh, but most of the rock monsters don't care, and they all leave, except for the nicest rock monster of all. His name is Magog, and don't let his crusty rock exterior fool you, he's got a big soft heart. Magog tells Noah that he thinks... <laughs> I'm such an idiot. Magog tells Noah that he thinks Noah's a pretty swell guy and wants to help him. After Magog escorts or escorts Noah and his family to Methuselah's mountain, Noah takes Shem and puts the rock monster in charge of looking after Naamah, Ham, and the infant Japheth. As we see throughout this movie, Noah isn't exactly portrayed as father of the year material, but compared to what's coming, this seems like the best parenting decision ever made. Hey, Rock Monster, I know we just met five minutes ago, but do you mind watching my family? <laughs> and I do like when he comes down from Methuselah cave, Methuselah's cave and Ham's like running through the Rock Monster's leg, going like, you can't get me! Well, I hope he can't, because if he does, you're dead. You're played with your... I know you haven't, Luke, but I've played with my son, and we wrestle and stuff, and I've made stupid decisions playing with that kid that, you know, I threw him too high and it scared him, or, you know, I bounced him off the bed or something. Accidents happen when you're roughhousing with kids. This year's a rock monster. You have an accident with him, you're dead. No, these rock monsters are very uh, adroit. They they built the whole arc. adroit adroit. I'm gonna I'm gonna need you to I'm gonna need you to define adroit, please. You know there, I Webster. I learned that while I was studying Japanese. Adroit. Let me look it up. That's the only time the Japanese word for adroit? That's the only time in my life I'm going to be able to use that word, so just let me use it. Uh, adroit, as defined by Oxford, clever or skillful using hands or mind. So the, the rock, wow. the rock, the rock you gave me, you gave me so much flack for using the word titular. <laughs> That's a stupid word. <laughs> titular. You only use that word because it sounds highly... No, I don't. Titular is used over and over and over again in movie reviews. 
You're the only one who reads those. I honestly have seen the word titular like 500 times since I heard Zach use it. Never noticed it before. <laughs> well, you've enlightened everyone. I yeah. promise you, if I see the word adroit 500 times, I'll come back next week and eat I... my words. Be like, it's everywhere, Luke. You never. <laughs> I was sitting there walking through Kentucky supermarket up on the sign, up on the bulletin board, said, "Are you adroit?" Well, apparently, somehow it gets used in in Japan. So, <laughs> Japanese people are weird, man. Uh, <laughs> I, more power to you. The rock people okay. build the ark. So they're clearly They're very, made out of nerf apparently. Very good with their hands, and so I wouldn't trust my child to them. The ark was made like a log cabin. I, I you know, I I don't know much about building log cabins or arks, but I don't think you have to be gentle in order to make it work. It's kind of hard to break a tree trunk. Had to be watertight. Okay. <laughs> That, that's still, I just still don't understand how being watertight has anything to do with being adroit. What do you mean? If you're constructing, what do you mean? Watertight, it's you have to be somewhat adroit. I'm sorry. Is the Flex Seal guy? You ever see that commercial? Where he sprays the bottom of the boat on uh, with a screen door on the bottom of it. Does he seem real deft of hands to you? Because he doesn't to me. He looks like like a giant idiot spray painting rubber onto the bottom of a screen door. That's only for small spots, though. So the the rock monster in Methuselah's cave, Shem and the old man bond over their love of berries before Methuselah magically roofies the kid with some Jedi mind trick. <laughs> Methuselah then gives Noah drug tea because apparently roofing a child two seconds earlier wasn't creepy enough. The tea causes Noah to relive his divine vision, and when he comes to, Noah knows that God is going to use the flood, and it's up to Noah to save the animals. As he leaves, Methuselah gives Noah a briar seed. I mean, Methuselah calls it the seed of Eden, but I know those prickly little briar balls when I see them. You're not fooling me, Anthony Hopkins. He plays Methuselah, Anthony Hopkins. Uh, uh, Noah plants the briar, I mean the seed of Eden, and suddenly... A whole forest just erupts from the ground. And the rock monsters are around. They see this miracle, and they're convinced that Noah really was spoken to by God. And they're like, hey, we're going to help you now. Eight years pass, and the ark's nearly done. Then two by two, animals are drawn to the ark, where they get settled in their new floating condominium. Then, no then, <laughs> then Noah takes a page from Methuselah, concoct some weird sort of incense that puts every animal from snake to bird to cow into a state of forced hibernation. I need some of that. During this... <laughs> Seriously, just one whiff, you're out. <laughs> I will say that the animals coming to the Ark was a pretty cool visual. Yeah. Like, I think you could take just that clip right there when teaching about the Ark and give people an idea of how massive this thing really was and... The animals coming in. Um, but during this eight years, we see that Ela and and and, and uh, Japheth, not Japheth, it's Shem, isn't it? Yeah, Shem. Okay. Gosh, Japheth, I'm an idiot. Japheth is, is the youngest one. Yeah. During hmm. this time, we see that Ela and Shem had grown pretty close, and they're just off making out while their dad's building a boat. They're making out's going a little bit further than making out. And uh, Japheth mm -hmm. starts kissing Ela's uterus scar, which apparently is a major turnoff because she pumps the brakes right yeah. then and there and runs off. 
Meanwhile, back in the rest of the world, food's in short supply for the people following Tubalcane. These sinful carnivores are becoming more and more desperate for flesh. A group of about 200 men confront Noah at the Ark, but they're turned back by the friendly neighborhood rock monsters. For some reason, this confrontation makes Noah realize that he needs to go out and find wives for his son before the big rainstorm. I mean, Shim can't be with Ela because she's got a pop uterus. So Noah goes on a woman hunt. He's going to bag and tag three woman folk for his boys. This leads the Ark Builder into a human camp where he sees the deplorable conditions that humanity is living in. Humans are being sold and slaughtered for food. Lambs are being tossed into huge crowds of people like beach balls at a concert only to be torn limb from limb. It's a diverse display of downright dreadful and disgusting diabolical debauchery. A devilish and detestable deal that the disapproving and downtrodden divine deity simply cannot dismiss. <laughs> How long did it take you to write that? <laughs> Not long at all, unfortunately. <laughs> I, I, real quick, I want to stop here, because the lamb was the grossest thing I've seen in any of these movies so far. The one being ripped apart? Yeah. Yeah, that was a little gross. Last week, last week we watched, or a couple weeks ago, we watched Mary Magdalene, which was rated R because of violence. <clears throat> This movie is rated PG-13. There was nothing in Mary Magdalene that could compare to some of the things we saw in this movie. This sh you didn't see a whole lot of it. Like, it just gave you enough to understand what was going on, though. Like, you didn't see too much of the sheet being torn apart. Okay. Yeah, you just saw a lot. Enough for me to stop and go, wow, that was gross. I didn't realize you were so sensitive to violence. I'm not, but if I'm watching these movies, and I'm like, alright, PG-13, alright, it's not going to be that bad. Because last week we saw an R-rated movie, and the worst injury we saw in that was, or the most graphic injuries we saw in that was uh, Joaquin Phoenix falling down and bumping his head. I didn't feel... So, like... Noah... <laughs> oh, I go ahead. No, I didn't feel like the violence was like extremely graphic in this. Well, no, I, I'm not saying it is either, but I'm, I'm just comparing it to Mary Magdalene. It's much more graphic than the R-rated movie we watched last week. Okay. And it was just kind of a double standard that... Anyways, let's let's move on. We've got lots to talk about, and we've been recording for too long already. <clears throat> um, but uh, after watching the, the little Mary's little lamb get ripped limb from limb, Noah's just stunned by the followers of Tubalcain and decides, without input from God whatsoever, that the Lord wants all of mankind to die in a flood, including himself and his sons. Big jump. This, in my opinion, is where the movie goes bad. Like, I can enjoy the first part. Like, even though it's based on the Book of Enoch, like, okay, whatever. If that's what you want to do, fine. But then this part, like, from here on out, I feel like the movie just goes continually downhill. Because they obsess over this nonsense about him wanting to destroy all flesh and no children can be born because mankind isn't allowed to live. And it's like, why would God tell you to get on the boat if you, why wouldn't you just put the animals afloat and go drown yourselves if that was really God's plan. Yet they're just hanging on. Because they need someone to open the ark. Duh. Oh, I see. God couldn't have done that. <laughs> well, <laughs> apparently not. Because God does not put the animals to sleep. He doesn't close the ark door. Uh, <laughs> he doesn't talk to Noah whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. No, I agree with Luke, though, that, uh, 
you know the whole thing about God never saying anything definitively. I mean, I feel like that was extremely deliberate, you know. Everything is subject to your interpretation. And in the end, right. love wins, you know, just as long as you love, that's that's the answer and obviously that's where we are. <laughs> yeah. He's is so that where we are? So, uh, 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 Japheth and Ham aren't getting ladies. That's basically where we're at. And then when Noah comes back, uh, Naaman starts to become concerned for Noah's mental health. Rightly so. And she goes to Methuselah for help. She's like, hey, I want my sons to have baby mamas. Methuselah's like, alright, cool, I'll take care of that. And, uh... How does he take care of it? Well, he goes digging for berries. This man just... Somebody give this man a berry. And then Elah just randomly comes across Methuselah as he's digging for these berries. And the old man touches her uterus scar, which instantly heals Elah's barrenness. As an added bonus, Methuselah's touch has the exact opposite effect on her than when Shem kissed the scar earlier. Because she goes and hunts down her man and jumps his bones within minutes of that old man's crusty touch. So, that happens. Shortly before the rain come, Ham is all upset because Daddy didn't bring him home a girl to marry. So he goes off to find a woman for himself. He goes to the human camp where he falls into a pit of nicely wrapped human corpses. Which really bugged me. Because you have this idea of the debauchery and evil and sinfulness and cannibalism that's going on. But they take a moment to make sure that their bodies are all wrapped in a nice shroud before they toss them in the pit. It just doesn't line up with anything, and it just bugged me from a storytelling standpoint. I thought they were just in their clothes. No, they were, like, wrapped head to foot with, like, little pieces of rope around them to keep the shroud in place. It was it was very respectable as far as mass graves are concerned. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought that was a little weird, too. But in this mass grave is a scared young lady named Nael. And if you have trouble pronouncing that name, just say nail, but hiccup halfway through. <laughs> Turns out Rihanna isn't the only one who can find love in a hopeless place. Ham gives Nael like six crumbs of food, so she falls in love with him, and the two run back to the ark. Before they get there, Nael gets nailed with a bear trap, because they had springs back then. And Ham is too much of a weakling that he can't pry the trap off of <laughs> Nael's ankle. <laughs> Hey, you just made the case for their sophistication, so they, they got they got all kinds of stuff like that. Okay, but I can also make a case for the graphic violence, because that was... It, it, he pries it off a little bit, and then loses his grip, and you literally watch this bear trap go into this poor person's calf. I mean, it's... Worst, it's like the worst thing he could do. It's like, okay, I'm gonna help you. Oh, whoops. oh my hands are all sweaty. Give me a second. Give me a second. I'm gonna get this. Oh, I shouldn't have skipped... Hey, I should have skipped you know, arm day. You know why this is? You know why this is real? Isn't realistic? Is because all those animals just came trouncing through that forest, and that trap didn't get nothing. But he no. But the the trap was laid by Tubalcane before, uh, or after the animals came before Noah went to the city for the first time because Noah was uh, hiding in the shadows just so he could see this trap being laid. And Noah didn't think to himself, you know what, maybe I should deactivate this bear trap. I've got kids and animals running around everywhere. Uh, you know. <laughs> I must have missed that. Noah rushes to help his son, but sees Tubal Cain's army approaching and bids deuces to Nael and grabs him. 
<laughs> grabs Ham and they start running to the Ark. Now, Al is trampled to death, making Ham disenfranchised with his father. As they're running, the armies catch up with Noah and Ham, and they're swallowed up by the crowd who had been sent to kill Noah. But don't worry, because even though Noah is screaming things that identify him as Noah, the army apparently completely forgot they were supposed to kill Noah, so they just run around him. That drove me nuts. He's Basically, Noah is like, hey guys, I'm Noah! I'm gonna get to this ark! I'm Noah! Noah's here! And the army's just like, ah, don't worry about him! It's stupid. It was a little weird. I couldn't believe that they just like let that girl get trampled. I was like, oof. That was, Which is another example of graphic violence in this movie. <laughs> Look like I hadn't seen it before, but I didn't remember that, and I was like, "Oh, that's that's rough." The rock monsters create a barricade between the ark and the army, and after Ham and Noah are safely on board, the army of Tubal Cain gets. <laughs> this is a stupid line, but I like it. The army of Tubal Cain gets ready to smell what the rock monsters are cooking. And they just to start, and the rock monsters rear back and just start kicking some human butt. And it's a really cool scene. Like, it looks as epic as some of the fights in Lord of the Rings. It looked really cool. I enjoyed it. This scene was in any other movie. I'd be like, all right, that's, that's pretty cool. This is like when the Ents go to war against the, the um, orcs. Yeah. But I, right. I want to take this opportunity to point out the adroitness Ask of the rock monsters. Like... Especially right. towards the end of the scene, they're they're not very people. adroit because they they're can't people at hit their sternum, hitting singular targets. Like they are clearly very coordinated. So I would leave my child with one. Right now, let me let me just throw that theory out of the uh, uh, window real quick because uh, Tubal Cain has a gun. That's not a typo. He has a very real gun that he shoots a very real bullet into Magog's chest. Where'd he get a gun? Oh, but he's got one. <laughs> uh, this breaks open the, the ch rock monster Magog's chest, and then Tubal Cain just stabs him in the chest with a spear, and you keep talking about the adroit menace of the rock monster? I, you can't see me right now, dear listeners, but I'm smacking my chest very easily with minimal effort. That's all he had to do was just get off, and then boom, Magog's fine. No, he is in a spot where his arms couldn't reach because he's deformed, right? Because he was grabbing all the other people. But if you notice, he is, his arm... All right, grab a person place. and use that to smack your chest with it. I'm just saying, <laughs> it's not like he was in the small of his back. <laughs> you know, when you're getting stabbed by a lot of people, it's hard to, you know, keep your wits about you. I, I disagree. I disagree. If I'm walking through the woods and a thorn stabs me in the chest, I know exactly where that thorn is stabbing me, and I yeah, want to get it out. What if you get attacked by, like, a bunch of ants or something? Then I'm going to roll around on the ground. I can still feel that they're on me. <laughs> it's just dumb. Oh, it's easy. a dumb concept. <laughs> Every time they stab someone in this movie, it's in the dumbest place. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so Magog's got this spear sticking out of his chest. And, um... For some reason, Magog then just breaks all of his rock skin off, and he's allowed to go back to heaven in an angelic blast that takes out several human fighters. He asks for forgiveness. Someone's ringing a bell somewhere, because these <laughs> angels are getting their wings. <laughs> so, is this... This is not the same angel that's nice to them in the beginning, is it? Because he's the yeah, one who died. Yeah, it's Magog. He's the one who dies you last. Can 
No, he's not. The one that dies last is the leader of the rock monsters, the one that was really mean to Noah. Because oh. Magog only had one eye. Listen, come on, man. Get your rock monsters yeah. straight. <sighs> so stupid. So the rock monsters see this, so they just start kamikazing Tubal-Cain's army. Man, human bodies are just flying everywhere. Again, the bells are ringing. Angels are getting their wings. Everyone's flying off to heaven and dying. At this point, the movie takes a long shot to show us that Table Kane, or, or that Tubal Cain's entire knee is blown out in the fight in what is clearly a compound fracture. He has no kneecap. But that doesn't stop him from walking up a ramp or climbing a ladder. He's totally capable to do that. And it doesn't also stop him from chopping through an entire log so he can stow away in the ark where he's eventually found by Ham. Tubal-Cain then channels his inner Emperor Palpatine and turns Ham's fear into anger, anger into hate, and hate into the dark side. Because old King Tubes convinces Ham to betray his father as he bites the head off an animal that he roasted somehow. Which I can only assume was a unicorn, which is why we don't have those no more. <laughs> did, he, did he even Thanks, cook Tubal it? Cain. I thought he just ate it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Raw, man, yeah. I, think it was a, I think it was a unicorn, though. Yeah, that species is now gone forever. Unless it was one of the clean animals. Apparently he was doing that quite a bit, so there's probably a lot of uh, animals that are extinct. That's where, that's where all the dinosaurs went. Tubalcane ate them. The rest of Noah's family is gathered together to listen to the peaceful sounds of the pitter-patter of rain on the ark's roof and the sounds of the screaming masses as they are drowned. <laughs> <laughs> and although his family implores Noah to let some people inside because they have room, Noah says no. Soon. <laughs> like earlier in the movie, yeah. Somebody asked if there was any hope for mankind. Nope. Write <laughs> him off. <laughs> Forget it. <laughs> He's pretty open and honest with his plans with his family here. He's like, hey, guess what, little baby Japheth? You're going to be dead last. You're going to be all alone. Mommy and daddy and your brothers and your sister-in-law, we all gonna die <laughs> in your last. Have fun. It's <laughs> <laughs> a realist. Uh, but Ela wakes up sick. She's gonna have a baby. Ela is convinced that this is proof that God wants Noah's family to repopulate the earth because that makes way more sense than Noah's assumption. But <laughs> when they go and tell Noah the good news. Because Noah made up his mind that God wanted every person to die, including his own family. He basically says, hey guys, uh, whatever your baby is, you better hope it's a boy. If he's a boy, he can die last. But if you have girls, mm -mm, gone, dead, infanticide. Super, super bummed out about it. Think that God's trying to test me here. Why do you think that, Noah? Anyways, uh, uh, yeah, he's just like, hey, I'm, I'm going to kill my grandkid. Don't worry about it. I don't even have. <laughs> it's just it's so dumb. <laughs> because li think they... about it, this this barren girl. Which first of all, how do you know she is barren? I do not understand. She got stabbed right here. She could have taken it in any other organ. Why are you just assuming that it's the uterus? But let's forget about that stupidity for a minute. Why would you think? You saw some people acting bad, so you decided all people were going to die. Then, a girl who was previously unable to get pregnant 
gets pregnant. You have a literal miracle in your midst, but you decide that it's not God saying, hey, you guys can have kids and repopulate the earth. No, you decide that it's a test? This is God testing you? That's stupid. It makes no sense. I guess um, if God told me that he was going to destroy the earth and to build a boat and that all the animals were going to come on my boat, not sure what my mental state would be, you know? Might be, <laughs> might be a little wigged out. Might be a little wigged out at that point. So maybe I'd be like, no. <laughs> I, I believe that. I believe that you and only you would be like Noah. You know, it's not an everyday occurrence that you get. You build a boat and save the world. You, you don't. Noah's not. Noah's not. <laughs> Noah's not saving the world. He saves some animals. <laughs> They're pure and innocent. So, uh, at this point, once Noah's like, hey, I'm going to be killing babies here soon, Naima, in a terribly acted scene by Jennifer Connelly, begs her husband to be re- <laughs> begs her husband to reconsider his premeditated infanticide, but Noah's mind is made up. Let's just talk Why from did- a movie theater. It's bad. It's bad. I don't buy it. I do not buy it. I think she overacted way too much in this scene. <laughs> These people are under, like, emotional, mental distress. Let me move away from my mic real quick. Noah, why? You can't do this! No, Noah! Why, Noah? No! (laughs) I have never once acted like that to anything in my life. I don't buy it. Really? Now, when I say move away from my mic, I'm not talking about the one that you guys hear from me. I'm talking about the mic that records. (laughs) I mean, look, these people have just all the people on earth are dead everything they know is being destroyed they barely escaped after a rock monster fight and people trying to kill them Zach, why did the podcast go so long well let me tell you kelsey every single thing i said luke had something to say against it (laughs) they went through a war and now noah's trying to kill their only hope like you would probably be a little bit Maybe why no not the baby's provider? It's bad. People are screaming outside. Is it possible to overreact after having gone through all that? Like the world is being destroyed. Is it possible yes, to overreact? Yes, you're Jennifer Connelly. You make a bad acting decision and you overreact. Okay. Uh, <laughs> while this sick and incredibly unbiblical plot twist is happening, Ham and Tubalcane are becoming best friends. They plot together and come up with some hijinks to pull on the ark. Their greatest prank of all, murdering Noah. Several months pass, and Ela's ready to pop. Uh, 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 Shim has built a raft from all the extra wood they had lying around the ark. Where do you get the wood from? Why, why, why are they bringing that much wood? Okay, never mind, it's dumb. Actually, Zach, if I may interject here, uh, in the Ark, you would need giant piles of lumber enough to make a a raft, because then, uh, in case God makes you sink, you have a way to preserve your life by making a a makeshift life vessel. So yes, I could see that. It's probable. Thanks, Luke. Now, look, if you're going to have an Ark, and it's going to get tossed around, you might need to make repairs. (laughs) Why wouldn't you have some lumber? That's all I'm going to say. I mean, that seems reasonable. Why wouldn't I have some lumber? Because I trust God. God told me to build this boat. I'm going to imagine it's going to be water. It's going to be safe on the water until God doesn't want it to be anymore. 
Well, let me just make the argument that sometimes you have to do your part. You don't have to. You part. don't have to make the <laughs> argument. Uh, so, yeah, this raft's ready to go, and uh, Shim's going to take his baby and his wife away from his father before uh, Ela gives birth. Makes sense. But Noah discovers the plan, and, like, and he's just like, nay, nay, sir. And he hurls a fireball from somewhere, and the raft goes up in flames <laughs> like it was covered in gasoline. That was the that was easiest fire anyone has ever started in the history of the world. Wasn't that one of those nuggets? <laughs> it was. Yeah. Definitely. Was, was, no, was he, he turned into an anime character, moved his arms around, was able to shoot fireballs. He firebended it. Uh, but this shock causes Ela to go into labor, and with Nama's help, she manages to squeeze out two twin girls, which is perfect. Because now there's a little infant wife for Ham, and a little infant wife for Jake Japheth, and a little vomit inside the mouth for me. Noah hears the cries, and is just immediately determined to kill those babies. He follows the cries to the roof of the ark. Eli asks for a moment to calm her babies down, because, you know, murdering a crying baby is just going too far. So she lulls them to contentment by singing a lullaby that Noah uses or used to sing to Isla, Ela. My dog's name is Isla, and I hate this person's name. That Noah used to sing to Ela uh, when she was a little girl. Now Noah has his baby stabbing knife out, and and he like real close to that infant's head, and you think maybe he's gonna do it because this movie. I can't predict it because they're not using the source material. <laughs> and so he's holding this knife and you're like, I oh, know I'm going to baby stabbing right here. But no, he just bends down and gives a little kiss and walks away. And from now on, I will never complain about my in-laws ever again, <laughs> ever. <laughs> I just, I'm confused about this scene because number one, <laughs> is it going to, kill the baby in her arms like how's he gonna do that without stabbing her like i was just confused about right how through the going. fontanelle it's at the top what? of the head perfect for a little <laughs> side swipe oh i'm glad you're so um skilled and knowledgeable about baby killing no i'm not i'm skilled and knowledgeable how keeping a baby alive and here's the only rule they teach you when they hand you your child for the first time hey it's a bad idea to push the soft spot that's all they say <laughs> That's the only instruction they give to new parents. Here's a baby. It's basically indestructible, except don't pop that soft spot. <laughs> seriously, I'm not even joking about that. <laughs> no, seriously. Like, uh, when you're when Joseph was born, were you shocked at how much they, like, threw him around when they were weighing him and stuff in the first place? Oh, yeah. But like, and it was funny because for, like, the first week, it was, like, handling the most delicate Fabergé egg ever. But I'm in like two months in. I'm doing the same thing, holding him yeah, up by one foot while I'm trying to get his diaper off and not get crapped on for the third time that day. <laughs> I was seriously shocked the way they swung my kid around. <laughs> and they were fine. Yeah, I'm telling you, you can't hurt babies. Are pretty much idiot proof, <laughs> except for that one little spot. <laughs> uh, Tubal Cain seems to have Ham on board to commit a little patricide saying that Noah's death would be justice for not hell, and it would protect uh, uh, protect Shem and, and Ela's baby. So Ham goes and tells his father that the animals are awake and killing each other, and then when Noah goes to investigate, he's jumped by Tubal Cain. But Noah's played by Russell Crowe, 
And you're not going to sneak up on Maximus Decimus Meridius, commander of the armies of the north, general of the Felix Legions, and loyal, and loyal servant to the true Emperor Marcus Aurelius. You're just not. He's a little older now, you know. You might you might get him is- on a bad day. But he so uh, a, a, a brutal brawl breaks out, and the two are just punching and biting each other. There's a big pile of rocks for some reason that they pick up and use for weapons. Why is there a bunch of rocks on the Ark, Luke? To balance it. You know, if you put all the elephants on one side, you have to add a little weight to the other side. No. No, that's <laughs> stupid. I mean, I feel like that's that a practical stupid. answer. That was a stupid comment. You were trying to trap there me, a, and I... I'll I tell you prepared. why there's a bunch of rocks there, because they needed a prop for this fight. You know... Hey, can we use the guns it? again? No, it was stupid enough one time. If you need a fact about an octopus, blah, 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 Luke Taylor. You know, octopus, they don't really weigh that much, and so they were on the ark, and they were just laying there in a pile. And Octopus so were to, not on the ark. I guarantee you octopus it. weren't on the ark. <laughs> How do you know? Because they swim in the ocean. They don't need they, to be on the ark. They might add them in a jar. That was a fact about an octopus. Blah, 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 Luke Taylor. <laughs> Alright, so they're they're smacking each other over the head with some rocks, and then Shim drops down off the off the roof of the ark like the last <laughs> airbender and just cracks his dad in the head a few times with a stick, and then boom, the ark hits a mountain and everyone goes flying. But only Tubal Cain and Noah are actually hurt in the collision because this movie is pretty dumb. But Tubal Cain gets on his feet and he moves over uh, over to Noah, ready to finish him off. And then out of nowhere, Ham comes and stabs Tubes right in the armpit. It's and a mortal dies. wound. And he <laughs> dies. It's almost as good as punching the pillow in Ten Commandments. And his, his knife was like maybe four inches max. Maybe. You, don't, you, don't you know all the vital organs your armpit carries? <laughs> So yeah, it's a mortal wound, but Tubal Cain really isn't upset about it. He just kind of gives Ham a weird hug, tells him he's a man now, and then hands him the serpent skin from the beginning of the movie. Why did that come back? It's stupid. <laughs> it's profound. Maybe we're missing As something. The... Yeah, maybe it's just too deep for us to grasp. Yeah. Yeah. As the flood recedes, the family begins to make a new life for themselves. Ham decides that he's going to leave because he's still mad about Nael. But he needs to go see his dad first. And Noah is basically wallowing self-pity, thinking that he failed God because he didn't kill those babies. And so he decides to live in a cave alone. In his cave, Noah's been reenacting Flashdance by pouring wine all over his face, but he's still got enough wine in his mouth to get drunk and take off all his clothes. Ham finds his dad passed out, tanning his butt on the beach. Shim and Japheth arrive and place a blanket over their father's naked rear end. Then Ham walks off into the sunset. I wish I was exaggerating during that entire paragraph. <laughs> Just one time I wish I was making something up. But I'm not. He drinks wine like he's never ingested liquid before in his entire life. <laughs> it's like, do I pour it on my forehead? No. Oh, my mouth. It tastes good there. He's apparently pretty far gone at that point. <laughs> he was in his cups, as the kids say. No kid says that. <laughs> 
you know, I wonder, you know, like you get this wacko storyline while they're on the ark about and, and they, they create this tension between like Noah and his, his children, especially Ham. Like, did they do all that just for this scene to make sense of the the drunkenness scene? You know, it's funny. I was thinking that, too. And I was like, you know what? This is the first. <laughs> Seriously, I was, I was watching it. and I was like, this is the first scene in this movie that I can kind of see them coming up with a plausible explanation. It's like, you know, I've always been confused about the whole cover and his nakedness stuff and whatnot. It's like, I get it. And then I had to stop myself going, Zach, the only reason why this makes sense is because of all the stupid stuff that happened earlier. <laughs> yeah. This is this is not a good explanation. Get that out of your head. <laughs> but they, yeah, because like the Bible, you know, it's not really, it's not super clear. And, and then I saw this and I was like, okay, that connects. But did they really do all of that just to connect this scene? I think they, they did. did. <laughs> Listen, we have a... <laughs> Here's where we're ending, all right? Russell Crowe, butt up naked in the sand. Here's where we're starting. Bad world. How do we get from bad world to naked butt drunk Russell Crowe and ham walking away? Rock monsters. Infanticide. <laughs> Rock monsters and stowaways. Oh, and let's have Noah try to kill some babies. <laughs> and because this movie hasn't had a feminist slant yet, Hila then comes down and confronts the would-be murderer of her children and asks Noah why he's living in a cave. Noah responds that he's real sad that he didn't kill her kids. He failed God because he didn't kill those babies. And instead of leaving Noah to rot, which is what I would have done if I was in her situation, if a man said he was living in a cave getting drunk and lying butt naked in the sand because he didn't kill my kid, I'm done with that person. I'm shaking the dust off my feet and leaving him on the beach. Just saying. That's not uh, Hermione, her, Hermione's a better person than I am. <laughs> they're trying to save the human race here. They can't just let those petty little things you know, get in their way. I know if you come back, I'll, I'll pop out another girl. Gross. Stop. I insist you, you stop. Can you imagine your wife is born as like an infant and, you gotta sit <laughs> and, and wait for her to grow up like that? That would be weird. <laughs> be the most awkward thing oh. in the world. Instead of leaving Noah to rot... Uh, she tells him that maybe God gave Noah the choice to decide whether or not mankind survived the flood, because that's dumb. And then uh, Noah decides to leave his cave, and he and Nama touch hands as they're playing in a pile of dirt, so their relationship is good and stuff. <laughs> Never mind that your husband just tried to kill your grandkids. Everything's forgiven. I, ser seriously, I would not be able to hand my son over to him again and be like, hey, will you hold this kid for a second? Ever. Trust is gone at that point. You pull a knife on my kid, I can't trust you anymore. I just, I can't. I'll forgive you. I won't be mean to you, but you're not holding my babies. It's so stupid. So stupid. But at the end of the movie, the family stands on a cliff and Noah blesses them all as the new start of the human race. Then the sky erupts in a rainbow. And this tells them that God will never destroy the earth in a flood again. Now, I added that last part because the movie certainly didn't tell you that, but that's what that meant. The end. Amen. Good night. And a woman.
<laughs> Before we get to our rating, because it is still new, just real quick, we don't do the 1 to 10 scale anymore. It served its purpose, but it has shown bias in the past, and we've just grown up. We're, we're an older, mature podcast. <laughs> you were the only biased one who used, who used that incorrectly. I can go back and show you the tape. So, we oh, use yeah. this new scale called the Seps scale, or the Stinky Snake scale, if you speak Greek. And basically, we have four categories, each worth 25 points. And we go through these categories and give them ratings. The first one is scriptural accuracy. Uh, Colin, you're the guest. What, mm-hmm. what would you give this rating on a scale of 1 to 25 for scriptural accuracy? Well, I think I'm going to be generous and give it a two because (laughs) the names were right and there was an arc in it. (laughs) That's the the same reason why I gave it a three. (laughs) (laughs) It was because they they said some of the names right. (laughs) And they did build a boat. (laughs) How about you, Luke? I think I'll give it a five. And uh, the reason is because, they, sure, they had some things right. But I have an issue, just like I had with, uh, what was it, Mary Magdalene, I think. I have an issue when, like, the Bible explicitly states a fact about the story, and then they just completely ignore it and replace it with something else. And there were, that was done, like, so many times in the movie. Like, clearly they're all married when they get on the ark. You know, they all have wives. They just ignore that. Then there's this Tubal-Cain dude hanging out on the ark. It's like just explicit contradiction. So I gave it a five. I had some more. I gave a few more uh, points for getting the names correct. And Methuselah, you know, he's my favorite. And you can't uh, figured, you know, you can't say that Methuselah didn't have a sword. (laughs) And he wasn't on the ark. So Methuselah goes out. Methuselah goes out finding berries. He goes out the way he wants to. With a berry like on his breath. Happy. He's real happy about that, too. <laughs> he was. It's like, I found a, I don't even know if he ate the berry. He found the berry, then he's just <laughs> arms stretched wide, and then floods coming. The berry is him going to heaven. He's, he's found what he's looking for. Okay, the next category, entertainment value. Take the biblical atrocity out of it. Were you entertained by this movie? Uh, I assume this is me first again. Yeah, that's fine. Okay. I uh, gave it a five when it came to entertainment value. Like Luke said earlier, I felt like the first hour maybe kept my attention, but that was just because I was kind of curious to see where this train wreck was going. But after an hour, Leah watched this with me. And we both looked at each other, and we just wanted it to be over. So, I'm going to watch Borrowed Christmas. <laughs> I won't need an hour. <laughs> First five minutes. All right. Uh, by the way, Scott also gave it a one for scriptural accuracy. Uh, he originally gave it a zero, but I told him, hey, they got the names right, and they built a boat. So, he gave him a one. Uh, for entertainment value, I'm going to go to the opposite end of the spectrum here. I gave it a 22. This movie was entertaining. It had everything. 
the CGI was awesome. The rock monster battles were sweet. There was violence. There was gore. There was a... Seriously, if they would have called this movie anything but Noah. Like, if they just took the Bible said, this is not a biblical movie. All right? This is just a story about a flood and a guy named Jim. And they didn't try to pull in the Christian crowd with the, the Noah aspect of it. It would be an awesome fantasy movie on par with Lord of the Rings and some of the fights and stuff and the visual effects in it. I loved some of the animations. Like, uh, late, at one point in the movie, they do Cain killing Abel, but uh, they flash forward through all these different wars and different soldiers until they're, like, holding guns in modern times, and it was a cool just symbol or symbolism of, of humanity making the same mistakes as far as violence is concerned. And I don't know. I, I truly loved, liked this movie when I stopped looking at it as a biblical retelling. Fair. So I, uh, I kind of split it in half and then did the average. So like Colin was saying, I enjoyed the first half, especially when I learned that it lined up with the Book of Enoch, even though I'm not, I mean, of all my heresies I've promoted on this, I won't say the Book of Enoch should be uh, in the canon. When I learned that it lined up with that, and then I was looking into the history of that while I was watching the movie, and I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. Uh, I, I see now where they got this story from. And then, like you're saying, the battle scenes are cool. The CGI is cool. The animals are really cool when they're coming on the arc and just watching the arc come together. And then I also found it at least curious to watch, like, how evil the people were and to imagine, mm -hmm. like, what that world would have looked like and uh, what the pre-flood world would have looked like. And them just kind of creating some visuals for that was interesting to me. And then as soon as they, like, got on the arc, though, it just completely lost me. That was the point at which I was like, I just, I just want this to be over. Cause there was, there was no more fights. There was no more animation. There was no more, there are no more animals. They were just all sleeping. And it's just a bunch of terrible dialogue and everyone's sad. Oh. And the story doesn't even make sense. So I gave the first I, part. Go ahead. Well, and, and the funny thing is, is when I realized that they weren't sticking to the Bible, I was able to switch my brain off and be like, okay, don't look at this as a Bible movie. Clearly they're not trying to do it as a Bible movie, just watch this as a regular movie. And if it, I don't know, I found the storyline ludicrous as a preacher and a Christian that understands the biblical narrative, but as a movie watcher, the storyline of, again, it's not Noah in my mind. He thinks that his God told him to kill everybody. And the storyline of the babies and everything else, it was, I, I liked the drama it built when I took the Bible out of it. But, I don't think you should have to do that. You shouldn't have to do that much homework in order to watch a movie in your brain to go, okay, you got to stop focusing on the Bible in this movie called Noah. Yeah. I was think I was trying to ask myself, like, would I enjoy this if it was just, if I didn't know the Bible story, this, I'm mean, talking about the second part and I can't just can't see myself really loving that second part, even if it was disconnected from the Bible. So I gave the second part a five cause I really hated it. And then I gave the first part a 20. And uh, what is the average of that math, you know? And uh, okay. yeah, I'll give it a 13 for entertainment value. Parental control. Basically, the way I, I, I was trying to think of how to simplify the definitions of these categories. If your grandma was in the room with you, would you change the channel or keep watching it? Uh, change the channel. I'm going to give it 
a 12 here, just kind of middle of the road. The violence, like I said, I didn't think it was like incredibly graphic. By 39 years old, I have seen a whole lot worse. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think maybe the, the thing that would keep me from having my kid or my grandma watch it was maybe the uh, sensual parts of it. So middle of the road, 12. Okay. If you haven't uh, learned from these podcasts, Zach's pretty calloused. His heart's kind of hard when it comes to this category because he's. See, I haven't heard last week's podcast yet, so I, I haven't heard this. Yeah, he he kind of justifies right. all kinds of evil. Anyway, um, I, I can't wait for him. To, I'm just pointing out that I have my score typed in and I'm not touching it. Okay. <laughs> and I've had it typed in since before we did this podcast. <laughs> what, is, what does that have to do with anything? Because I'm already making you eat your words. How are you going to justify oh. that? We've watched two movies. Two <laughs> movies and you're going to say I'm calloused. You're, you're calloused. It's bad. You justified Christmas. Whatever. If, I, if, I'm call- if I'm calloused, you're a hemorrhoid. <laughs> so go ahead and what's your rating? <laughs> My homeschool rating uh, for this movie would be... Uh, I gave it a 15 because I, I thought similar along the lines of the uh, Emma Watson scene was a little bit risque if you have a young kid. Um, yeah, I didn't think the, the graphic violence was terrible. Uh, before I give my score, Scott gave it an 18. He didn't give me reasons. Uh, I gave it a 12. I gave it a 12, just like Colin. Um, I, I am desensitized to violence. I play a lot of video games. It has nothing compared to some of the things I've seen on The Walking Dead and, and shows like that. Uh, but at the same time, ever since we started this podcast, the only thing I'm able to watch are kids' shows and whatever terrible, terrible thing I'm watching this week for this show. So <laughs> it's been a long time since I saw a bear trap snap on some girl's leg or a lamb be torn limb from limb. So <laughs> that was kind of shocking. I'm also with you. As far as any movie we've watched so far... Uh, as far as sensualness or suggestiveness, yeah, I mean, Emma Watson got real excited about that uterus scar being taken away, and uh, it was just uh, she pounced. Yeah, she pounced. She was, she was like a lemur, just <laughs> so. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I gave it a twelve. Finally, should you watch? Is there any merit that you can find? In this movie. I am going to give this the lowest score possible. I don't know if that's a zero or a one. You can tell me. But uh, whatever you want to give it it zero is <laughs> fine. Zero, okay. And like you, I really tried to remove the preacher or even Christian element from myself in order to judge this. And uh, you know, if it came to recommending it to someone else, I don't think that i can do that um aside from the fact that it was obviously like you said a, a pita propaganda film um <laughs> that they you know the, the principle that it taught essentially just subjectivism when it comes to morality um honestly i sat down with a pen and paper when i started watching this and i was gonna you know take notes and write down all the things that i could point out were unscriptural but after five minutes i realized that it, <laughs> it is that do you off. see what do you, see I, what you I, should I, do? I, I, yeah. Take notes, bud. <laughs> you can become more involved. I seriously felt sorry for you having to write the synopsis to this. It was horrible. Oh, I loved it. This was one of the most, <laughs> more, more fun. 
this is one of the more fun ones I got to do. The more ridiculous and stupid they are, the more fun and the more silly things I get to say. So, <laughs> so zero. That's my answer. All right, Loop. I gave it a seven. And so I kind of see this category. Maybe I'm wrong, but I kind of see this category as like, you combine all of the others and then you just do a, an overall score on like, is this, is this something that actually you're interested in in any way? And I thought the, the points that I gave it were for like the visual effects and the, the couple things that they got right. And just the, um, there were some scenes I really liked. Like, I, I agree with you. I like that scene where they did the silhouettes and they transitioned through time to show kind of the evil and like the overarching story of what was going on here versus what's going on in the, in the, the big picture of humanity. Um, and then there were some redeeming scenes like the, the uh, fights and the animals and things. And um, I guess I, in, in some way am happy just to see any kind of Christian story, make it to mainstream media and for people mm-hmm. to get excited about it. So, but then it, you have to smack it pretty hard for um, all, all the things that they got wrong. Like, I don't know if it's better to bring us a, a movie to mainstream media if it's biblical just for the sake of it being there or if it if it kind of like uh, loses all of its value if it's that biblically incorrect. I'm not sure. Hmm. But um, yeah, I gave it a seven. I, I, I really just didn't enjoy the second half at all from just from a movie standpoint. And so it had a few redeeming qualities, but definitely not enough to save it. Uh, I gave it a 10 because the way I, look, I don't think you're wrong the way you look at the you're gonna give me a stroke um I, I gave it a 10 because uh, I don't think you're wrong with the way you approach it or whatever um but basically what the way I approach should you watch is is there anything valuable in this movie whatsoever and a lot of it is garbage. However, the visuals of like the animals coming on board and the birds flying in or even the ark itself, they did a good job recreating the ark. Basically, if you just build a box, I'm going to say it's a great ark. If you put a rudder on it, Ken Ham, I'm going to say you're stupid. Where are you steering the ark? Why do you need a rudder on it? Where is Noah steering? Doesn't make any sense. Um... Does Kim and Ham have a rudder on his ark? Yes, there's a giant rudder on the ark. It doesn't make really? any sense. Yeah, he built the ark to look like a boat. In the Bible, it, it's a barge. Like, yeah. you see going down the Ohio River, that's one of the most stable crafts you can build as far as you don't want something to capsize that has a heavy load in it, is that box. But, uh, yeah, so the, the depravity, that would be a cool... If I could just pull clips out, is what I'm saying. If I'm teaching, teaching on Noah and the ark... And I, I'm able to show video. I would pull the clips of the depravity scene or the clips of the animals coming in. There's useful visuals. Story's garbage, but there are some useful visuals you can use for teaching. Uh, I would not recommend anyone watch this from start to finish, though. But uh, if you're an educator or a preacher and you need some cool visuals, you got some here that you can pull and use. That's so, uh, adding all the scores together and averaging it. Uh, Noah gets a uh, 36%, and here we use 
the Carleton University from Ontario, Canada's grading scale. Go Ravens. And uh, 36% is an F minus. Continuing our theme of ringing the new year in wrong, we are going to be reviewing next week the 2014 American-made Christian drama film, Persecuted. Here is the summary of this movie. Reformed drug addict and America's leading evangelist, John Luther, dumb name, opposes Senator Donald Harrison's Faith and Fairness Act which would not allow Christians to stake that they have the whole-slash-only truth. To destroy Luther's credibility and ensure passage of the bill, Harrison has Luther framed for rape and murder of a teenaged girl. That escalated real quick. Real quick. So this is going to be terrifyingly bad, but... uh. Well, <laughs> It's what we signed up for. There are those who claim that your ministry is intolerant and may even threaten the freedom of others. Freedom is fragile and costly and must be defended by work and by faith and even by blood. Now your ministry reaches more people than the evening news and I need you to get up there and announce that you fully support this bill. I cannot water down the gospel to advance anybody's political agenda. This talk of persecution, it's gonna die, and who's gonna be left standing? You are! You cannot legislate the power of God! He's not on board. Mr. Luther, do you mind if we get a picture with my daughter? Big smile. Excellent. The girl is dead, John. They're saying that you killed her. I didn't kill anybody. They're watching for you. I didn't know where else to go. You're going to be charged with first degree murder. I just want to see justice served. I need your help. Your husband is a fugitive. He is coming home to this family. I have a dream to unite the traditions of faith with one voice. The arms of God aren't as far away as you might think. Mr. President. John Luther is entirely your misfortune. People are looking for a symbol. We'll get back up when they're not down. Get your people out there and do so quietly. They can silence the truth. Sometimes in a war, there's collateral damage for the greater good. In you, I put my trust. If there's any iniquity in my hands, let my enemy pursue me and overtake me. Let him trample my life into the earth. If you take away a man's right to speak his mind in a country founded on that very principle, Wow, Zach, you know how to pick them. You don't them. really have a country now, do you? Hey, I don't know how uh, else to describe this to you, Luke. The theme of this month is literally ringing the New Year in wrong. I'm not picking the cream of the crop here. Speaking of which, if a trailer makes you look at the time going, how much longer is this trailer? <laughs> I don't have high hopes for this movie at all. <laughs> Uh, it's going to be a rough week. All right, I think that'll do it. But that's going to do it for <laughs> Rotten or Righteous. Uh, as always, I am Luke Taylor. I'm Colin Morrison. I am Scott Judge.
And I'm <laughs> Tubal Cain. Uh, hey, Colin, do you know yeah. another name for an eyedropper? No, what? Clumsy ophthalmologist. <laughs> <laughs> Good okay. night, everybody. Oh, don't forget to say your prayers and, and kiss your parents or don't kill babies. Oh. Bye. good we'll have we'll have a we'll have something at the end where you can give us constructive criticism tell luke that he needs to stop clicking oh. his mouse during <laughs> the recording i'm using my trackpad i started counting yeah. last week and within a 20 minute span <clears throat> 126 mouse clicks why would you do that 20 minutes you don't have a life you did because because every once in a while you just go click 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 for no reason like what are you clicking so many times for I was gaming. playing a game over there yeah league of legends <laughs> luke is the devil's advocate on this show he does things just perturb you obviously i i would never i would never do anything to push zach's buttons <laughs> yeah yeah well, and the funny thing is about the dynamic, I could say this because Scott's not here, but I might leave it in, uh, is that Luke knows his role to play, where he leans into being the antagonist. Uh-huh. I, I know my role to play, where I I do exaggerate emotionally about a lot of things. You know, I, I'm, I'm odd, I, I truly am not screaming at people in real life because of these movies. I don't know. I watched you grow up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, does anyone believe that? Scott is oblivious to it all, and just, he's hes the only one that takes this seriously. Scott comes in writ with written sermons every week. And every week I have to cut them out. <laughs> Scott's the glue character, you know, you need a glue character. That holds the, holds the two dysfunctions <laughs> together. Yeah, Scott's the glue character, he's the dead horse that's been mashed up in a white paste. <laughs>